Welcome to Technology Tangents. We get leaders together to discuss the important tech of today and the implications for tomorrow. Our discussions are fun, lighthearted, and well, frankly opinionated, but hopefully it gives you a sense of what matters, what to pay attention to, and what to ignore. Joining me as always is our CTO and resident curmudgeon, Jason Gunn. Welcome, Jason. Hey, Vincent. This is our uh, first remote-only podcast. Right, everybody, no one is in the office. <laughs> well... I don't know what that means about it, but we'll see if it's good, then I guess you can take credit as the CTO of this organization. Joining us is Kevin Erickson, our chief strategy guy and resident operational leader here at Critter. So I guess the credit really goes to you then, Kevin, for overseeing all this? I don't know, what's going on? No, I'm clearly failing having Jason be in the office two days a week, so we're gonna have to keep on working on that, so. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, actually, I'm really excited today to talk a little bit about this world that we live in where IoT, the Internet of Things, is real, it's omnipresent, and frankly, it's impacting businesses across the spectrum. But to help us with that conversation, we've brought in a true expert, Gerald Jackson, my good friend and former colleague. Gerald is a supply chain and manufacturing operations technology executive with a passion for innovation. 20 years, Gerald, is that right? 20 years of experience, more than 20 years of experience. I won't say how old you are. More than 20 years of experience bringing diverse teams together to really deliver transformational large-scale solution products to solve complex manufacturing, supply chain problems, data problems, of course. And you've really led teams through strategy, planning, delivery of over $400 million in process and technology investments that's resulted in, I mean, my time with you alone, billions of dollars of growth and cost savings. Uh, so super excited for you to join us today. Welcome, Joe. It's my pleasure. I'm excited to talk, uh, talk about this discussion and hear you guys' opinions and share a little bit of my own. And where are you joining us from today, Gerald? Today, I'm joining you from actually sunny Seattle. So uh, we better what? make this a quick call because I don't know how long the sun's going to come out, stay out. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, you got to get the sun where you can in that place, no doubt. Well, just to dive in, let me start off with a few interesting stats that I pulled. IoT, there are currently over 13 billion devices across the globe. Um, so that's more that, that's more than I would have guessed, frankly. Um, and it's expected to be about 25 billion by 2030. So we're talking about still, despite it being a really large number, doubling yet again over the next, call it five, six years. And in fact, like there are more than 400 active IoT platforms. So of course, those devices have to connect to something somehow. There have to be protocols written, but there are 400 of them, which I think sounds problematic. And I'm curious if we'll get into that a little bit later. And in particular, if you look at VC funding, you know, over 10% of all VC funding, now this, this number is dated, so again, who knows what's happened with ChatGPT and the AI and how that factors in here, but prior to that at least, IoT actually accounted for 10% of total VC funding in the industry, which I think is quite remarkable. So it's a big investment being made in this space. And it's no surprise because again, in 2020, IoT spending was about three quarters of a trillion, $749 billion. And in 2022, so again, just two years later, it actually was over a trillion dollars of spend in the space. It's a really big, hot area. There's a lot of things that come about lifecycle management, about the privacy, about how do you actually show value with these things that I want to get in today. But just to kick us off, Joe, I mean, you spent several years of your career here now, one of the leading tech companies, two, two, I guess, on the manufacturing side, and then again, pure tech platform side, working on these problems. Help me understand, like, what what is the opportunity that people see in this space today? Why is there so much money going into it? Well, it really is. So it breaks out into two different buckets, I think about it. One is the consumer story and one is the enterprise story, right? On the, on the consumer front, you know, the smart home or transforming fitness, uh, IoT is really transforming the way people live, right? It, it's making it easier for you to turn the lights off in your house and also uh, gives you essentially like a digital trainer or something like that in your in your home. So it's really just transforming the way people live in the 21st century. And I think having this, you know, Gen Z and millennials spending most of their life online connected, uh, they're just envisioning more and more different ways of, you know, leveraging connected things as part of their day to day. On the enterprise side, the conversation is all about productivity, right? It's how do we connect things that run an operation and let those things tell us when things are going wrong, help us to predict maintenance, uh, improve quality of uh, the workforce. 
So there's a number of things happening on the, on the business side. So it's productivity for business and really just new life experiences for consumers. And both are driving a tremendous amount of activity. There's no doubt from a data science perspective, IoT is a huge unlock. We're talking about finally we have the data we've been wanting to solve really unique, really cool problems that are truly compelling. We shouldn't have access to information to build models around these historically. So take AFib, for example. Well, now the Apple Watch can collect your real-time heart rate and information on your wrist 24-7. And that's a massive opportunity for us to then diagnose a condition like this. Or maybe it's your sleep ring that's actually monitoring how you slept last night and gives you real-time information about what you should do today. Should you prioritize a long workout, a short workout? Do you need extra sleep today, et cetera? I think it's a really cool set of data that's now available we've never had before. But with that, of course, comes all the other challenges around privacy and security. And what do you really do with this data from an ethical and from a just technological standpoint as well? Well, I think there's a lot of challenges with uh, just the data in terms of how, how often you send data and how do you handle disconnected states and you know what do you process locally and what do you you know process remotely? There's a lot of those type type problems, which are the problems I'll call inherent to the platform or inherent to the purpose. But there's a lot of things that surround it that I, I think people often don't think about that drive a lot of complexity. And that's things like provisioning and you know, how do you provision a new device, get it somewhere, install it. Uh, once it's installed, how do you update it? How do you secure it? You know, and how do you change passwords on it, you know, or, or keys or whatever secures it? What privacy issues there are? And really, those are a set of things which are necessary no matter what it is that you want that device doing. And so I think that's the reason you see, you mentioned, you know, there are 400 something active platforms. I think that that's the reason there are so many is because I don't know that there are a lot of platforms that do all of those things really well. And, and so you've got a lot of really niche providers that are uh, addressing different aspects or facets of all of those problems. But there's there's a lot of problems that have nothing to do with the actual business side or, or whatever the purpose you want to use that device are. And so I think there's a there's a huge opportunity for a lot of the platform providers, whether it be the cloud providers that are starting to get into this space and their offerings or, or other niche providers that uh, really are trying to make it easier for you to focus on just the things that you're looking to do. Yeah. Hey, so I think you hit it the nail on the head with the make it easy. Um, because like you said, there's 400 different platforms. None of them are doing end to end. And when you think about um, what you're trying to connect, your requirements are, your, you know, what you need is going to be different. Whether you're connecting a machine in a factory or you're connecting a, uh, a watch to a nurse in a hospital, uh, your protocols are different, everything's different, and stitching all that together is tremendously complex. And so a lot of the companies that I've talked to, they're looking for the easy button, right? And they're willing to pay for it, which is pretty interesting. But so far, I think that's still a big hurdle that we've got we've to go over. Because if I think if you double click, Vincent, on, on some of the spend that's happening in this space, you're probably going to see a ton of it happening in the consumer world where it's sort of, you know, not necessarily tied to an ROI, but it's tied to like driving sales and providing experiences. But in the business world where you're looking for ROI and you're looking for value and you're looking for scale, I think you're going to see a lot of POCs, but probably not as many scale initiatives as we'd like to see. And it's largely because of the it's just too hard sometimes. Yeah, Kevin, I'm curious from your standpoint, if you were advising, I guess there's two angles you can choose which one you want to take. One is on the IoT platform side. I mean, we love the idea of starting with a specific use case and only standing that up as an MVP and then expanding from there. But to Gerald's point, that might mean that your platform is intrinsically or inherently limited in what you can do. And then I think the second side would be from a business who might be trying to purchase or leverage this new technology and platforms around it. How do you then justify the investment for something that is a new technology, unproven in some sense, but could unlock some some net new things? How do you do that sort of systematically without making a huge bet that could go the way of the old ERP implementations back in the day? Yeah, I might I, I might start with option three of those at first, and <laughs> back down if that's okay. Yeah, free. and you know I feel I feel a little. Uh, 
under qualified to talk about this to two former or former and current leaders at GE. But I, mean, I think what's interesting to me is how does it start with just what's your know, words that actually help continue to accelerate trends that we're already going. So you think about how does this fit into how do things talk to each other? How does it lead, you know, lead into normal, you know, normal supply chain management, normal elements, all those different components that are already exist, right? I think that's where it starts from. So if I'm a company perspective, I'm thinking about it from really, you know, how do I make better decisions faster? How do I automate? How do I use that to make wiser choices? Yeah, I think when I come back now to the consumer perspective, and you know, obviously some of the examples that you shared in a bit ago are, are personal to me in terms of uh, uh, how health and elements of that, where this plays out, I think it to me, it becomes, a, you know, so then I go to the question, I'm like, really, how does it help your consumer to have better experiences? Where is that connected? How does that play into that? And then I think some of it is around, if you go with the consumer experience, I think the monetization elements of that will come. Definitely think about security concerns, but uh, which leads to maybe really the most important question for you. Where's the investment? How do we, how do we figure out as a company, where do you start playing out this into that? And, and I have a really, I guess, relatively simplistic answer to that is that I don't think this is going to ever go away. I mean, let's, you know, we've been chasing a vision that was portrayed in Minority Report like 25 years ago. And this is the continual evolution of this, right, in some ways. And so I think that you're going to have to continue to have ways to be able to, to aggregate that data, to be able to interpret that, do that cost effectively, do it securely. And then I think the ways that you actually, what you do with that is interesting. You know, one one caution that I have, and, and even as a, uh, as a product of several wearables, uh, I think it is interesting around as companies try to figure this out and they continue to change the user experience around pricing and things like that. That is interesting how this is also playing out right now to where, you know, you've got money has gone into these companies and they've been spitting stuff out quick, which I love, but yet it is a bit disjointing where all of a sudden you're like, well, oh, you bought it. That was great. Well, guess what? Now you're going to pay for it monthly and we're going to do these different things. And I guess it's a little bit of the, the price of innovation. But I think that I would like companies to be thinking about that a bit more, just understanding what they're, you know, what they're trying to do as they're learning exactly how to, what to do and how to work through that. And there's a bunch of tech consultants here. We know that uh, selling data and really the trying to go after that strategy has been also some around for a long time. And how do you continue to do that, work through it? But uh, so don't know if I actually answered your question, Vincent, there, but I do think I'll pose a couple other interesting ones that I think through is that this is more this is more in the world of table stakes for me than it is an investment decision. To be I, I agree on the table stakes. And I think that one of the biggest questions for an enterprise. Well, let me just say two things. One is I'm actually most excited about the potential for IoT for enterprises. There's a lot of investment, a lot of focus on consumer, you know, monetization through ads and some subscriptions and things like that. That's very interesting. But what, what gets me excited about the enterprise is we haven't had a real productivity revolution in the enterprise since client server and the introduction of ERP, right? I mean, ERP came, we got data for the first time, we had a lot of BI systems being built, and it was make better decisions faster sort of thing. Uh, then there's some automation and, and some things like that. But we really haven't seen productivity grow at the same scale as technological innovation, because I think it's been overweight on consumer use cases. And so if you look at your, your average company, I think if you look at the technology under the hood, you can go back 50 years and you, you can still find mainframes, you know, running some pretty important backbones in, that, that society's built on. So when I think about where the greatest opportunity is, I really think it's, you know, for me, because I'm a nerd about business, it's in the enterprise. And the key question is not, do we do it, but where do we start? And I think one of the learnings that I've seen companies, um, hopefully, uh, you know, prove, what I've seen companies do is they start off just trying to get familiar with the technology and not so much start off on a problem that really needs to be solved. And I think things kind of stall out because it gets hard. What I would really advocate is for companies to pick hard problems that matter, that are core to the operation, that have the potential for huge productivity gains. And I think you'll find more acceleration through the POC period, right? You're going to see more willingness and more, more will to actually solve some of these hard problems and fight through the complexity rather than use the complexity as a reason to stall an investment. So I, I think it's, it's table stakes, but I think where to start is a real differentiator between the ones that are seeing success and the ones that continue to flounder. Yeah, Gerald, to, to piggyback on that, I think that I've been curious at times whether or not the desire 
to monetize and sell the data? Has that been distracting for companies that are not using it more in terms of some of the cases that start out with where you're going, which is just simply make it, uh, you know, make it easier for you to do your business, your day job, whether it be enterprise, whether it be consumer. But because we tend to go down what the could be, and maybe that's where the valuations mm-hmm. come from for some of the folks that are funding some of these investments. But you know, I think if you start there where, where, it's, where, where its applications exist today and grow from that, it'd be a better way for companies to approach it. Right on. I think it's exactly right, Kevin. I think this is why our data monetization framework really has three buckets around it. It's the one that everybody thinks about, which is like, oh, I need to go sell this data. And it might be the raw data, it might be insights on the data, it might be a product around that data, but like that's what they go focus on. And I think that, yes, there is value there, but it's usually not the place you start. And frankly, it's not even the most valuable place most of the time. Sometimes it is, most of the time it's not. The real value from an enterprise standpoint comes from the first two buckets, which is around efficiency internally. How do you bring the right data to the right person at the right moment in time? To that point, Gerald, like where where are my goods at this moment or what's happening with my consumers or, you know, these kinds of questions that actually drive real enterprise value. And the second one would be that sort of how do you build enrich your current offerings with this? So can I give more real time estimates? Could I do a better job with my management of my inventory? Could I do a better job of interjecting myself or intervening during some customer lifecycle journey, whether it be healthcare, whether it be consumer, whether it be fitness or whatever, and say, hey, at this moment in time, because I don't have the data for it, I need to help you through education or through a product or through a whatever it happens to be. I think those first two buckets are where most of the value from data comes from. And I think to your point, people often get distracted by, oh, I need to get the data so I can go sell it to somebody else so they can figure out how to use it to create real value. And that's just the wrong direction, I think, to at least start. Yeah, I agree with that. I think one of the things you mentioned, Gerald, was like the POC logjam, right? We we start looking at the tech, we just you know see what it can do. And we get stuck because with IoT in particular, there is that sort of kind of big barrier to entry around some of those things like provisioning security and data. It's just, there is a lot of complexity. And so if you pick the right use case, right? Something that has a real significant payback, there's incentive to work through all those challenges. Um, where, it, it, you know, if you're just looking at it and you're thinking, well, it's gonna, you know, you know make this small thing, you know, move the, the letters from this pile to the, you know, to the sorter or whatever, it's, you know, it's not gonna really, save a lot, then there, there's not really that incentive. And so h- how do you look at those to get some real, real productivity? And the one thing that's interesting, you know, you mentioned all the hype around uh, chat GPT and open AI. And the one thing that I, I really find interesting is like that maybe has reinvigorated some of the, you know, interest in getting more efficient. So a lot of the use cases, people looking at at that for are to drive a lot of internal efficiency. Oh, look, I can make developers more efficient. I can make writers and authors that do copyright and, and other things more efficient. So I agree. I think there's orders of magnitudes more uh, efficiency to be gained through IoT, through whether that be manufacturing, supply chain, or other, you know, other hard, you know, we'll call them harder use cases, right, than the than what a chatbot can do, something that interacts with the real physical world. So if people can find those and justify the investment in IoT, I think it can drive a lot of savings, efficiencies, uh, whatever that will help justify those costs for the for the hard, you know, to getting through the hard things. I guess my question is, if you think about these bigger bets to your to both of your points, I think sometimes they're they're just gnarlier problems. They're just harder to solve. There's more complexity intrinsic in the system. And we're also talking about IoT. So we're also talking about physical, durable goods that have to be deployed and, in, and built and, and maintained. And I think that's just, it's it's very different than the traditional software world that we've been hyper-focused on for the past you know decade, two decades, whatever it's been. And I guess my question to you is like, how do you, especially in a world where interest rates are non-zero, money borrowing is a real cost and a lot of people have to be very cautious about how they're deploying capital. How do you then justify the investment to your board, to your leadership team to go do something that is frankly difficult and expensive and has a payback that's not six months, it's probably more like a couple of years. Any thoughts on that? 
I think the business cases are, are there if you can find them. And just to give an example, we had a, a customer who was a intermodal uh, shipper and they had lots of equipment, you know, tractor trailers and, and shipping containers. And those things are expensive. I mean, some of those things cost hundreds of thousands of dollars and they li- and it was shocking to me, uh, you know, how often they get lost or misplaced and stolen and, and those kind of things. And so it, it doesn't take very much if you can manage those better, find them, keep them more utilized. It doesn't take very much, uh, you know, there's such a lever that just any small movement has such a huge payback that, you know, you, you don't have to like make significant changes to really pay for those investments. And I don't know, George, that, that may be a, a very uh, one-off use case or a very uh, isolated experience. I, this is, is really your world. So I'd love to see if you think that's true more generically across the industry. Yeah. I, I have a hypothesis, Jason, that's born only out of, you know, my experience, but I, I think IoT, you know, these technologies, right, combined with edge and some cloud and some analytics, let's call that the IoT sort of platforms can drive very within 12 months of implementation, 10% reduction in whatever cost line that you, you pointed at. And so if I'm a business, I'm going to I'm going to start off being a standard business person and I'm going to look at my balance sheet and look at my P&L and I'm going to see where's most of my cost, where's most of my capital being deployed, like if I'm a like when we were, you know, there was a large multinational uh, conglomerate that Vincent and I used to work at. And I remember looking at the balance sheet and saw there's like, you know, $30 billion in inventory. And I'm thinking, well, 10% of that is a pretty big number. And so if you look at applying technology to drive 10% reduction in your existing processes, you got your business case right there. Now, the challenge is, is when you start pointing this technology to parts of the business, the the balance sheet or the income statement that aren't really gonna, they don't have the biggest opportunity. And now you're looking for home runs. You're looking for 50% reduction. You're looking for 80% reduction. And that's really just not gonna happen. And let me give you an example. Um, So talking about vision systems, right? Vision systems where you're using connected cameras with some algorithms in there and you can determine whether or not uh, something is good or bad. Uh, a grocery chain investing millions in a POC to have c- cameras looking at fruit to see if the fruit's getting rotten or not is not worth the same amount as the same technology deployed in a mining operation where you need to see if the ore is good or not. Like, is this ore that we need to take and process and sell or is this ore that needs to get shifted out, Right. I remember spending many hours <laughs> in heated debates about the grocery store stuff because the retail market was so big. But this use case was so small because at the end of the day, it'll tell you the bad fruit. But guess what? A human being still has to walk over and take the fruit off the, the stack. And guess what? A human being has eyes and they can tell that it's bad. So the business case was broken from the get go. But they're going to dump millions of dollars in a POC, Right. So sometimes, you know, you have to have that sort of the industry, the problem that you're solving, the space that you're playing in can really help you direct where you're going to put your POC dollars. When you said you can cut 10% of line item, you know, or any line item of cost, Kevin's eyes lit up. I just want to be clear that does not imply that consultants, Kevin. I just want you to know that. (laughs) We're going to instrument our consultants and make sure they're all very productive all day, every day, 24-7. Maybe maybe you could improve productivity by 10% by you know, providing your consultants with, with smarter tools. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I think, they, I think, I think that, that we've got a few of those that might suggest <laughs> that. But it, it, it's an actually interesting question around the enterprise versus consumer in this case. Because if we go down the, the hypothesis here that the enterprise is a, is a, has a not maybe necessarily a bigger market, but uh, it's the, it should be easier to come up with the ROI, right? Because it goes back to headcount reductions. It goes through productivity gains, goes through efficiency. So things that we're all saying on this call, but yet the press goes towards the consumer. And so it probably could probably in an area where 
working so going back to the original question vincent is around how do we how do we uh, communicate this i mean i think you use your standard business case methodologies and use cases and then you know potentially in your organization particularly if you're serving both both sectors or both markets you know you're you're building out your technology you're building out your solutions in the b2b space but you're able to take that more to a consumer market or something else as you go from there but yeah, I do think this is primarily you know, the cases where we're seeing outside of the wearables and the healthcare and some of those things that you're seeing or some of the, you know, the more kind of, let's say, just uh, you know, glitzy things around the home and things like that. I mean, the real interesting elements is what you can do with it on an industrial scale. How does it make it easier? How does it go back to one of my former clients and how we were rolling a lot of these technologies out in terms of placing milk runs and things like that between service bays just by having, you know, having devices talk to each other and you're able to work through that and there's a lot of applications that are simply just around making more efficient, making wiser choices and how we get to the right person, the right part, the right thing at the right place, the right time. Yeah. And just to be clear, like I am fairly bullish on, you know, the consumer aspect, probably maybe more so than, than Vincent, but, but I also think there's a couple of providers that are already well into that space that are going to be really hard to compete with. Right. So Apple clearly with the, the Apple watch, I mean, they just, you know, Google, and Nest from, which I guess is now Google and some of those providers, it's just going to be really hard for new entrants. I think there's a huge opportunity to add, you know, features and functions to that, but it may be an app on the watch or, you know, a, an uh, algorithm for the camera or, or some of those type things, as opposed to, you know, a full kind of turnkey solution just because the market is so saturated right now by those few providers. Yeah, I think that's fair. I guess my pushback to you would be if I think that Amazon and Microsoft and these platform providers would disagree with you. They just rolled out these huge networks now, like the Amazon Sidewalk Network, that basically any IoT device made by any manufacturer conceptually could tap into that and suddenly get connectivity to those devices, which actually lowers the cost of entry, the barrier effectively to this space, which means that anybody in their garage could theoretically now solve this problem at a scale they historically wouldn't have been able to. They would have had to have connectivity solved, they had a platform solved, the data platform solved. Like we've dropped the cost to entry so mm. much that there might it might be ripe for innovation now. I don't know. Yeah, I agree, but I think that. You're not going to go, a consumer is not going to go buy another device to carry around. They're just going to want it on their watch or their phone. Now, you may use those platforms to go innovate something for a business, right? And maybe there's innovation for small business there uh, that might be useful. And I, I do think those platforms are helpful, but I, I think it's going to be hard pressed to get someone to go get another device. Jason and Vincent, I think you're hitting on like this dynamic that I find really interesting, which is, on this on this consumer side, like Amazon's building a platform for anybody to go and innovate on, and they're going to get paid as people adopt their platforms, right? And they don't they don't necessarily need to answer you a question that you just posed, Jason, which is like, how many people are going to buy fifteen devices? You know, you know, like they're not solving for that because they're not building the product; they're building the platform for a bunch of folks to go try to build products. And I think where you've got all this VC money. Uh, chasing really smart people that have really good ideas about how to use these platforms for consumers, I, I, I call it this bubble economy, right? Around around the consumer, where like the end question that you had, like I've got a smart ring that you know, and I've got a smart watch, and I got a smart a smart workout thing, and I'm getting product fatigue, right? I, I don't want to buy more stuff uh, to do to do these things. So, but there's a lot, there's a huge economy around coming up with new gadgets. And what, I, what I'm looking at is like, how hard is it to scale a business that depends on people to just like find new ways to spend money versus an economy around uh, people investing to save money, right? So I would put my name behind an investment that helps like a company that's going to already spend $5 billion to maybe spend four, and they're going to give me a cut of their savings. Like that's a good business model. But the interesting thing is a lot of the young innovators don't understand business enough to go and play in that space. So I think there's a blue ocean, red ocean opportunity here. I think the red ocean is the consumer IOT where everybody and their grandmother wants to play. Uh, and then you've got this, 
rusty blue ocean over here where people, it's just not, you have to think systems. You have to understand business functions. You have to understand actual business. Um, and there's not enough people playing in that space. And, and if you look at who's who are in the lead, it's probably some of the older companies like a Schneider Electric or a GE that know the fundamentals, but they're, they're playing catch up on the mm-hmm. tech. It's a really interesting, funky space. I wonder if there's a kind of a middle bucket there, which is more the B2B consumer use case. You know, I'm just thinking, for example, golf cart, right? You sell golf cart manufacturers, all of a sudden you sell to them a, a device to put on the golf cart that can you know, give you more information. About, I know this already exists, right? You know, the, how close are you to the hole and those type of things. But I wonder if there's some use cases like that. I really haven't thought thought through any of those. So that could be another one. But I, I do agree that there's the, what did you call it? The rusty blue bucket. Yeah, the um, rusty blue ocean. Uh, or ocean. Uh, the rusty blue ocean. I do think there's, I, I'm not arguing that there's not huge opportunity and, and maybe orders of magnitude greater opportunity there. I just think there's still opportunity in, in some of the middle ground spaces like the golf cart thing. But I, I think, it, it again, I'm big on consumer, but I think that's going to have to go through an existing platform, somewhat like the iWatch. Yeah, I think it's interesting, you know, on the consumer front is, and we talked about this a bit before, and it goes to the fatigue of just like, well, how many services are you going to pay for? I mean, I think that's the one thing you've talked about. Go back to, we've been referencing the ring, several of us are aware that. In fact, uh, my ring told me that uh, I slept really well last night and I'm rested today when I worked 19 hours last yesterday and I feel pretty fatigued. But but like, but like, it's like, uh, I wasn't moving much yesterday, so that's a good thing, I guess. But yeah, I think what's interesting is like, how much are you willing to pay for those different services where for them, you sell a hardware device and you know, it's a point in time sale, but they don't survive on that when I don't replenish it. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see that. I think the platforms are really interesting, Vincent, on that where you have you know, two or three platforms that are really going to say, hey, I'm not going to sell you the ring. I'm just going to give you the, I'm just going to sell the place to where you can view the data from the ring. You know, so is that just going to be, you have all these small companies running out doing all the R&D and then you're just going to see the, the the big boys and girls kind of gobbling them up and actually just putting them into their product mm-hmm. mix. You know, we've got, uh, you know, I think it's a really interesting uh, play to around how you want to do. And I think that, so you're starting to see that from, the two or three really large players. This is just the next domain that they're doing the same thing they've been doing for the last 25 years. And so, but it is going to be interesting to see from a consumer perspective because you're not to throw another example in, but it's a bit like streaming, like two or three years ago, right? How many different streaming devices were you willing to buy content from? And then, you know, now you're watching to, well, I'm not, I don't need those different sources. The price points go down. I mean, is this going to continue to happen whereas? And so, it's going to be, I think you're going to start to see the industrial use cases are probably there. I think the healthcare use cases are probably there. I think running your home and those like that are probably at this point, I would admit, are actually more at the maturity level. There's only so many ways you can connect to different devices and there's only so many different ways I can turn the power up or down at my house. Uh, but, um, but I think it's an interesting element of where does it go next? And then ultimately, how does it continue to make it, uh, people's experiences better? I think it's a really good point, by the way, on that point of homes. Just if you think about the commercial space, this is a space that's been innovated a lot, right? So you think about the scale of making sure that we have sensors to capture the lights, making sure that we have sensors to capture the temperature, making sure we have sensors to send elevators to the right floors at the right moment in time, tagged with the badge sensors, to et cetera, et cetera. Like that's pretty well done across most commercial buildings at this point in time, those controller systems already exist because your point is right, Gerald, like the payback on that is really big. And these these are not small capital improvement projects. These are multi-million dollar, tens of millions potentially worth of investment. On the home though, I mean, it's an interesting point because if I think about my home, like how much do you really pay for water or electricity? And like, how much could you really save if you turned off the lights? You know, your three lights in your bedroom, like now that were LED probably already, now they're off, like uh, the payback on that is a little bit tougher. I just think that, you know, if we think about the industrial specific, the vertical, if you will, are there ones that you see being more ripe for this opportunity? I mean, we've seen the agricultural space here and the massive amount of innovation John Deere's done with targeted pesticides, targeted watering, et cetera, et cetera. You think about smart cities and sort of having centers across the city for a variety of other reasons. They're not being leveraged for traffic flow, for telling you how long it takes from point A to point B, for uh, dynamic speed limits up where you are. 
Of course, the, the speed limits actually change depending on traffic flow. Are there other industries that you see being really ripe for opportunity? Or and similarly, do you see ones that are not very ripe for opportunity? Yeah, um, I see there's, like the ones you mentioned, um, smart, we call it smart spaces is the, the, the area where facilities and hotels and, and commercial buildings, right? That's absolutely one of the one of the big areas. There's a lot happening in healthcare across multiple subsectors within that, whether it's a device uh, on the device side or the hospital operation side, or even in the telemedicine side, right? There's there's lots of opportunity in healthcare. And as, as we have a aging global population, I'm expecting more and more dollars to be invested in that space. And so I would actually start to, I would, I would expect to see some growth on the healthcare side. Uh, and then I think the, the biggest bucket that has uh, probably what I'll call the most frustrating progress is in what I'll call this industrial manufacturing space, right? Um, about IOT on the shop floor, driving more optimal production, um, and, and driving uh, better asset management, you know, the APM space, it's still huge. It's just a huge space, but I think the uptake and the growth is a lot slower uh, than, than people uh, would have expected that to happen. Uh, but definitely it's going to happen. I think the more you have some of the some of the smartest folks sort of focus on that space, get crisper on the use cases, think about systems as opposed to just individual items, and it's going to vary by industry. I think that's got the hu- biggest upside over the next five years. The big question is, when is the dominant design pattern for IoT in the industrial space going to be established, and who's investing to go there? And if you look at the big tech dollars, they're not going there for the most part, right? Now you see Google, you see Amazon and Microsoft all sort of talking about manufacturing IoT, but you can also see them sort of ratcheting back those investments as well and trying to pivot more towards, you know, dominating back in the ad space, you know, where they're trying to battle for search. So those are the areas where I think the opportunity is. The area where I would uh, put less focus on, uh, quite frankly, I'd put less focus on retail. Not that it's not a market, it is a market, but um, I think it's uh, sensitive to ups and downs in the, in the global economy, and, and uh, it's not as global uh, as some of the other ones. And so, but there's still money to be made, right? My, my big takeaway is just about any industry has an opportunity, right? You just need to know what that industry is, focus on it, and deliver. And, and Jason, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to pick up on the golf cart example, where you've got the consumer and the and the B2B sort of tying into each other, right? Imagine if we've got the golf cart that's censored up. Uh, you've also got data. People have, you know, who's driving the golf cart. And you, can, you know, there's a lot of data that you're capturing, you know, and it's providing an interesting experience to the people that are buying and using the golf carts. The other opportunity is how does a company take that data and drive it into the, it's, its operations, right? It says, hey, look, these are the ones selling. These are the, they're using this and that. We need different tires on this thing. Uh, or we need to start being prepared to repair them here. We can build partnerships with a, a repair ecosystem, right? So they can really optimize their business around what they're learning from their consumer, as opposed to spending so much calories thinking just about what additional services can we sell to the customer about this golf cart? Like you can really start now creating a unique experience and start driving some of that 10, 20, 30% cost reduction. And so as you're growing, you're doing value creation as opposed to um, value destruction. And you will be unique in your market because most companies are not doing that. I love that example. And I think I want to take it one step further and think about even just the consumer's vehicle space. So these cars nowadays, just your average car, every car is highly instrumented and connected to the internet. It's usually connected via cell phone. Maybe they'll change over time, but like they're all connected and they all have the capability of streaming a variety of sets of data. So to exactly to your point, not only do you have the predictive maintenance use cases, which you might've been able to do through edge compute anyway, but you can do much more, which is to say, I can now tell you how you drive that car. And I can target you with different tires that are specialized for you from a marketing standpoint. When you go to replace the car, I can tell you, hey, you don't want this base one. You want the sports one because you're always doing, you know, getting it off the line every time. Or you want the off-road one because I can see where you were and how you drove. And you're going to have a better overall experience with this vehicle instead. And so I think it's a really interesting use case of really fundamentally shifting not only how you market that, but then how do you develop products moving forward. 
So maybe there is a market for some niche, whatever, I don't know, in the car case, like somebody who drives really fast off-road, off-roading, touring, I don't know. Uh, maybe there is a use case for that. Or maybe, you know what, the people who have this kind of car actually never drive that way. And there's not any value to having this functionality, this set of features. Because by the way, it can go all the way down to the feature level. So do you want, you know, adaptive cruise control? Or do you want cameras on it? Or do you want some fancy karaoke? Like, you can suddenly see how people are using that and then integrate that back into the next iteration of your product development. Yeah, I, I think that's awesome. Thanks for taking it to the next level. Yeah, and I think all of that really falls into that sort of second bucket in my mind of like, how do you use this new set of data to enhance your current product catalog? And I think that understanding how people are actually using your products in the physical world is something totally novel, but something we've been doing in the technology software world for a long time. I mean, every good software company today understands what the workflow is, how people use their products, how often they click on every single button, and they make product decisions that way. I think that we're now getting to a place with IoT where physical, durable goods can be instrumented in a way that we can make similar decisions because of exactly what we talked about. Suddenly, platforms are now for free, out of the box, not literally free, but they're cheap enough that you don't have to invent them yourself. You suddenly have instrumentation that is like the chips themselves, the devices themselves suddenly become a lot easier and cheaper and faster. And you have a huge amount of money being dumped into this market, broadly speaking. And so I think that's, that those ingredients have really led to this, I don't know, possible opportunity moment. Now, I think the question is, does AI end up overshadowing it? And so again, if you're thinking about it from a CIO, CEO, chief innovation officer perspective, I wonder you're now, you have this, how do you get mindshare to something that's a little bit more mature, but not quite as glamorous or sexy? You know, I was thinking, Vincent, as you were talking, I I think that maybe I said there were maybe three buckets like in consumer things, these kind of B2B to C, like the golf cart example. And and then, you know, some of the industrial or use cases around getting better efficiencies. But maybe there's a fourth. And I think the things you're describing, I would have typically thought of as edge, right? You know, it's more edge solutions. It's not like a device, like it's just something that the car does or the refrigerator does. We did a thing, you know, that for the refrigerator company to auto reorder things. So, but maybe it's a, maybe it's a distinction without a difference, right? It's, it's, you know, what, however we categorize them, maybe those are different, just different sets of use cases, a consumer device, something you sell, you know, to businesses, which, augment their consumer experience, something that, you know, sends back data from the edge, something that you can instrument, you know, your supply chain or factory or, or restaurant with. And and maybe this is more of a question for Gerald. Like I tend to think of those as all separate and maybe some of those is not IoT, but maybe they all are the same thing. And and maybe maybe it doesn't matter what we call them, right? It's it's the, what are we trying to do is get efficiency or get product insights or usage insights. Yeah, I think it's more the latter. Uh, the if I'm a talking to CIO, CDO, or some sort of somebody with responsibility for technology at their at their company, the biggest challenge that I see for them is to think about problems and solutions and not specific technologies. Right. You ask the question, hey, is AI going to overshadow IoT? And I'm, I'm thinking, well, you know, the, the IoT use, the, the use case, the problem to solve is going to require both most likely. Right. And unfortunately, the way the industry set up is all the product folks are thinking about their product or their component of a product. And I think, Kevin, it, it was either you or Jason that was talking about, like, you know, some companies are starting up with the hopes of being gobbled up by a bigger company that's, you know, doing their thing. So they're not thinking end to end either. So the the only folks, not only, but the folks with the greatest incentive to think multi, think integrated are the ones that are the CIOs, the CDOs, the CTOs that are trying to solve business problems. And their challenge is, how do I stitch these together into a solution? And that's where advisory firms come in, quite frankly, uh, really handy to help you, you say, hey, take a little bit of IoT here. This is the type of you know, AI that you need. Forget GPT here. You know, this is a decent algorithm. Right. I think that's where you know, advisory comes into play. But it really doesn't matter what you call it, whether it's edge or IoT. I've spent plenty of time with teams sort of fighting that fight because they needed to be clear about the component they're building. They're not thinking about the customer's perspective. They're thinking about their scope of development. And I think that's the only time where it really kind of matters, whether it's Edge or IoT. 
But if you're solving problems, you just need to figure out what are the components, what are the components, that's the bill of material for the solution that I need to put in place to, to run my business better. I think it's great insight. Anything to add there, Kevin? I don't know if it's, I mean, I think I just, I would agree it's the short answer. I mean, I think it's just interesting. It's, it's fun when you can get to the business problems. You can actually work through that to how you're going to use it instead of thinking about, you know, the hardware problems or how this is going to work or we're going to connect. I mean, that should be part of some of the promise of the IoT is that for you, it's really, you're making it easier to theoretically to transmit the data to work through it. And then we focus with our companies on what to do with that and how to make insights of that. And you know, it's obviously going to create competitive advantage for not only your own organization, but for the, the firms that are serving it up. But uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just an interesting, as I, you know, I pause back a little bit too, you know, just thinking about it, it's just, it's ultimately, it's really fun to solve these problems. And I think in the last few years, whether it be COVID, whether it be other things, you know, there's been so many things coming after it that we're having to react to, you know, other things and other stimuluses. And, you know, and I think right now we're coming back into entering a season where, you know, partly with, I think, interest rates being higher, that makes you have to make more, you know, really more better analysis and, and uh, say, frankly, wiser decisions. You know, the fact that you've got, so you're starting to see certain firms kind of really emerge and certain leaders that it is actually kind of cool to start using, uh, how do we use our human capital to make all our technology and our data better? And uh, which should be really fun for firms like us and people like us who have been solving problems for a long, long time. I think it's a great point. And I do think that we're going to see, a, because of the interest rate issue, because money is no longer free, I do think that we're going to see a consolidation naturally. I mean, it's sort of inevitable at this point from my standpoint. And so, again, I think making an investment now with that strong business case, it's it's now. This is the moment to go do that. So you can really come out stronger at the end of this, not weaker and behind the eight ball. Um, as we start to close up here, I have a few notes here. I think it was a really good conversation overall. I think that life cycle management was quite interesting. All the things around these devices are going to be important here. Starting, as I just said, with that, that use case, even if it's a hard use case, the one that actually has the business case to support a true solution is the real key, it's, I heard you say. And I do like the division between consumer and enterprise. And it sounds like overall, consumer is going to be a difficult market. I and mean, There's definitely going to be money there. There's definitely going to be opportunity there. But it's going to be a really tough market to break into. Cheaper than ever. Uh, but that makes it all the more difficult, which is very crowded. And there's still a lot of opportunity on the enterprise side, especially within some specific verticals um, that people really have here. And so I think that's a big part. And then thinking about how you leverage the data was the other part that I, maybe we come back to this actually at some point, because I do want to talk more about this idea of edge compute and how we leverage the data and where we're processing and what we do with it and how we deal with all the interoperability, the privacy, the security, the management, all of these things around it. And... I just think there's a there there is there is something here for sure. You know, like we've seen places that have made investments like agriculture where they've just seen a huge improvements overall. I think we've seen a lot in healthcare, we've seen huge improvements overall. But it does feel like it feels different than a lot of the other technology we talk about on this podcast because it's it's a real durable asset and it's kind of expensive and it's kind of difficult to get going. You're not talking about having the Indian solution set up and you know, weeks or months, it, it's a little bit longer term. But to your point, Joel, I was actually encouraged to hear that you've seen people do this at enterprise scale, still on the scale of 12, 18 months. That was, that was good to hear. Any closing thoughts from you, Gerald or Jason? A couple thoughts. Uh, one, in this case, or in, in when you're in an innovation cycle, the only things that will get done are the things that need to get done. I learned that lesson pretty early in my 20-something year career. Uh, you know, a bunch of good ideas, not all good ideas are actually worth pursuing. So the ones that need to get done are the ones that will get done uh, because everything is going to have problems, right? So that's one. Uh, the the other is uh, no longer in my head. So I'm just going to pass the mic over to Jason. Yeah, I'm going to steal one. I, you know, I just, it's a good, Richie uh, just did a really good job of summarizing where we're at. One thing that as I was listening to you that may be another topic for another day is parallels to post-initial web boom in the early 2000s, you know, thinking that you had all this money, all these things were running into different elements and you had kind of had that bubble burst. And, and I wonder if we've had a similar dynamic here where you've had all these new waves of technologies, you've had different things, cheap money, cheap investment. And, you know, when you, when, and all of a sudden you have an event that starts to cause you to pause and really it's going to then allow a chance for companies to come out of that and actually rethink about it a little bit more sanely, which I think is what I feel like we're doing, whether that be, 
uh, end of COVID, whether it be rise of interest rates, whether it be whatever it might be, I wonder if we're just entering a season where um, it's actually going to really give a chance for companies to pause a bit. And these have been a reoccurring theme we've been talking about over the last few months, just around the benefit of right now. This might be one more area of it where it's not about just throwing money at something, but now you actually use a little bit more wisdom and insight to how it really impacts your, your business. No, I agree with both of those. And I think, you know, I always use the analogy of the iceberg, right? You only see 10% of it. And a lot of times what you see that 10% is the consumer aspect of a product, but, you know, there's a lot of manufacturing and other processes that go into it uh, that you don't see below the iceberg. Again, that's the the lever that you get for them being so large is that, you know, any 10%, you know, as Gerald said, 10% increase can, can have a meaningful impact. And and I, I do also agree with something you said. I, I think we are guilty of it, right? Like maybe we're guilty of it in, in the uh, search for getting listeners to the podcast, uh, having things, you know, podcasts about blockchain and IoT and Web3 and AI and all of that. But, you know, Gerald, you're exactly right that let's not focus on technology, but let's focus on business. Probably, was not, you know, Kevin would also always preach about that is – Let's look at those problems and see how we use the technology to solve it. And I do think these are maybe underutilized technologies that have have potential to have far-reaching impacts if we maybe were to focus on them a little bit more. But focusing on the problem, not focusing on the technology. So it's a good reminder. But we're still going to put all those things in the title so people will click on the podcast. But well, don't worry. You just said them all, and so the yes. transcript will show all those buzzwords, and SEA will still oh, yeah, be yeah, we'll the still transcripts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, Vincent, I remember the other thing I was going to say, uh, a kind of a takeaway from this, which is um, I think the space really is about when compute can be anywhere and the data can be anywhere, right? And that's really what IoT and Edge and even cloud sort of that's that's the new landscape for for computing for any business to think about. And so traditionally when we thought about things having to be running in a data center or for a while we were only focused on IoT, I think really the 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 landscape or the canvas to play with is how do we rethink the way we run our businesses when compute can be on the edge in the cloud or somewhere in between where data can be useful wherever it resides. Right. It doesn't have to be munged and and you don't have to create these big data warehouses that we used to do 10, 15 years ago. Uh, It really changes the game. So it's not about the uh, it's still huge space for imagination for us to rethink uh, when we think about it in those two dimensions. Compute anywhere and data sets anywhere. What could how could we run the world differently? I love that. That's really good. And I, the star of our show, Gerald Jackson, thank you so much for joining us today. I think we have to have a follow-up and, and talk more about that. Uh, how, how does the world fundamentally shift when everything is truly diffuse and distributed? That's really interesting. Jason, Kevin, thank you both again for joining. I appreciated all of your insights throughout the day, as I always do, because you guys are brilliant, and I always enjoy these conversations. For our listeners, uh, please, if you'd like to learn more, visit the Insights page at Kudera.com. Thank you guys all so much. Thank you listeners for joining us today and I hope you'll join us again. Bye-bye.